The ABC's Word Wizard, the Lord of Language. A word in your ear with Professor Rowley Sussex. Rowley, 12 degrees. I hope you've got your Ugg boots on. Good morning. Well, it's going to be 20. The locals are looking around and saying, where did this happen? Because Hobart at this time is often, you know, 12, 13, something like that. So that's pretty good then. You wanted to talk about jargon this week, Rolly. Yes, what's what's been getting on your nerves about this? Okay, I keep on hearing people saying, "Oh, that's just jargon." And if people are using technical words out of context, perhaps they try to impress somebody, then that can be a pain in the neck. But jargon is actually a necessary and inevitable part of any in-group. And that could be a professional in-group, a technical in-group, even a social in-group. You know, if you're, you're a member of a football team and you talk about football in ways which are part of the, the vocabulary of your friends, then that's one way you show that you belong to this group and you have special communication. And from that point of view, jargon actually isn't a bad thing at all. It's efficient. It's generally short. It's well understood by the people who need to hear it, and it's part of the way in which we manage not using long, elaborate explanations for things when there's a very good technical word for it. So, um, in, say, medicine, there's a lot of it. If you're a builder, you know about studs and purlins and bearers, and if you are a mechanic, you know about big ends and valves and timing chains and camshafts. And these are part of the standard vocabulary of what you do. And it's a really good thing. Where it gets bad is if they start getting used by people outside the group in ways which aren't really well defined and kind of sloppy. And you're trying to put on airs and show that, oh, I know, oh, the camshaft was terrible this afternoon. Well, for someone who isn't a mechanic, that can be more or less meaningless. So I've got lots of examples of jargon. And, of course, there are in broadcasting as well. People don't know what an OB is. Tell them what an OB is. An OB is an outside broadcast. And, Rolly, I'm reminded as well of when I was a you know TV reporter on the road. And yeah. uh, you got to check, has the camo got his sticks? Well, that means has the camera operator got his tripod or hers? Of course they do. But, you know, arrogant young journos, they'll always ask those sorts of questions. <laughs> And, and, and if you're lucky, you've got a sounder as well, and he's someone who's dealing with the, the sound recording. Uh, again, for people outside broadcasting, these things sound perhaps as if you're putting on airs, perhaps as if you're trying to exclude them from the conversation. Um, and that can certainly happen in, I think, probably a very useful way in medicine, because if you... Uh, you know, if the doctors or specialists don't want to let you know what's going on at that stage, they can use voc vocabulary like, um, well, BP is your blood pressure and IBS is irritable bowel syndrome and SOB is not what you think it is. It means short of breath. It's what they write on your chart. <laughs> uh, and um, women get endometriosis. Now, that's called endo by people in the biz. And if you talk about endo from outside it sounds as if well there are two things either you're trying to be impressive or perhaps you've spent a lot of time on the internet finding out about this and so you're demonstrating insider knowledge yes and uh, a growing whereas, number of women would have to know about endo endometriosis I'm, oh that's a huge huge thing um 
up to, I think, 10% of younger women have trouble with it, and it, it persists all through. Well, we'll talk about that another day. But the, the important, important thing here is that if you use, say, shortenings to people who aren't in the group, it can have a very strange effect. Uh, and, of course, there's masses of it in, in business talk, which we did last week. There's quite a few in the military, and some of those have actually become more generally used, like snafus and fubars. You know about snafus and fubars? I do know about fubars. What's a snafu? Well, it's situation normal, all fouled up, and uh, you may take your guesses to the F word. Uh, and these things are both American... Uh, American military, but they've now become far more widely used. One which was very common during the Vietnam War was Charlie. Now, Charlie referred to the Viet Cong, and it was short, short for Victor Charlie, which was short for VC, which was short for Viet Cong. So for people who were in the military, they knew exactly what this was. For people outside, I mean, what's a Charlie for you? It's something to wear? I have no idea. <laughs> Ah, Rolly, I love how you're solving all these lifelong mysteries for me. <laughs> well, there you go. Uh, so um, I, I think this is actually a very important area, and we need to understand how it works and why it's there and why actually it, it fulfills a really important function. I've got a little group here of rather interesting bits of jargon from British... Um, generally police dramas and they talk about oh uh, we've seen a, an ic1 or an ic4 and these these are codes for different sorts of ethnic appearance so ic1 is white north indo-european so, sorry north european ic2 is southern european so greek italian something like that IC3 is black people, IC4 is Asians from the Indian subcontinent, IC5 is East Asians, IC6 is Arabs and North Africans, and IC7 is unknown. Now, if you think they're calling out these things, you know, over a bad phone line or something, they might well be misunderstood. But IC1 and so on, if you're expecting an IC description, then it's really easy to work out what's being referred to. And what does and, IC stand for, Rolly? Oh, God. Identity, something or other. I, don't, I, I did know and I've forgotten bother. I wish you hadn't asked me that. I'll bother. find out. Bother, bother, mm. bother. That's okay. We've got some calls coming in, Rolly. Right. Would you like to take some? Of course. Andy and Aspley, what would you like to say to Rolly? Uh, yes, good morning, Rolly and Emma. Um, I just want to clarify the correct way of saying privacy or privacy. Ah, Okay, privacy is the preferred one in all the dictionaries, but privacy is becoming increasingly common. And the reason is that the shorter word is private. And it very often happens that if there's a difference of vowel between private, privacy, then the vowel from the shorter one, in this case private, or sort of in... It, it crosses the boundary into the other one as well, and you get both. So the dictionaries universally say privacy is preferred, privacy is recognized, and it won't actually be regarded too badly. And I would expect that within a generation or so, privacy will be thought to be a little bit precious and over-educated, uh, which is a bit, a bit sad, actually, but that's the way it's going. Where are you from, by the way? From Scotland. I know you are. Which part of? Glasgow. Ah, okay. Can you understand Easter House talk? Uh, yes. Wow, rare man. <laughs> it's really <laughs> difficult for people like me. <laughs> 
So, Andy, do you say privacy or privacy? I say privacy. Yeah. Yes. Because I sort of feel privacy is more American and it's more, more common here. Yeah, it totally yep, is. I don't know when yep. I would have heard privacy said, well, on, like in a broadcast sense at all, Rolly. Yeah, Scottish people are sometimes a bit more conservative about these and preserve older educated pronunciations when they're already moving elsewhere. And uh, Andy's quite right, the privacy is more common in, in America and we hear so much uh, American English around us that it's, it's starting to overlay what we used to think of as being the way we spoke. And you asked Andy there, Rolly, about whether he understands, was it Easter? Easter House. Easter yes, House was an area. Ah, um, Easter House is an area of Glasgow where they had a particularly strong Glasgow local accent, which people used amongst themselves. It was their own jargon, I suppose, and uh, it's it's almost unintelligible if they really do a strong Easter House for poor individuals like me who come from elsewhere. <laughs> oh, poor Rolly. Yeah. Uh, gosh, if you can't get it, Rolly, then uh, the rest of us would struggle, surely. You, you need to listen to, to Easter House to see why. 16 minutes past 10 on ABC Radio Brisbane and Queensland. Emma Griffiths with you and Emeritus Professor Rolly Sussex is with you as well, talking language and words, and in particular jargon this week. If you've got some jargon from your profession or from a particular hobby that you've got that you'd like to share, 1300 612 is the number. Any language thoughts, really, Rolly is happy to have a chat with you about it. Paul is in Toowoomba. Hello, Paul. Oh, hello. What did you want to talk about? Well, it isn't jargon. It's just about uh, whether or not there's any grammatical basis for starting sentences with so. Over the last couple of years, I've noticed that increasingly people are saying, uh, uh, in response to questions, say, um, you might be even a professional, say, well, what about this report? And they will respond, so the report is about do, 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 or whatever it is. Or um, how long have you been in Queensland? So I've been in Queensland for this amount of time. And it doesn't seem to matter what question people are asking, there's this so in front of it, which is just absolutely redundant. And I just wonder whether there's any basis for using it at the beginning of a sentence like that at all. Mm -hmm. Well picked up. Um, there, we've actually had some people complaining about this before. It's it, it can have a meaning. Let's say you're making a very complicated argument to me and then you pause and I say, so, meaning what's the conclusion from that? And that's entirely proper, and it's got a very precise meaning, which is, please complete your argument so that I can see what you are concluding. The one you've done, it's, it's, a, it's called something like a conversation particle, and it's when you're answering a question and you're trying to work out how to get going. Sometimes you haven't quite assembled your thoughts yet. You don't want to be silent, so you put in anything. And so it's, it's a bit of language which grabs you a bit of time to get yourself launched into whatever you're going to reply. It doesn't have a really clear meaning in the usual sense, but it does mean if you'll be patient, there will be an answer shortly forthcoming. And that's what happens with it. Okay. Um, is it, it, is, it sounds like it is a bit like um, Paul. Just yeah, it is like um, but we've been told that um is bad, so we, we use a real word instead. Or well, maybe. Uh -huh. uh, well, Rick on the Sunshine Coast has got a query for you. Hello, Rick. Hello, Emma and Rolly. Good morning. 
Morning. If I may comment on the people who talk about sports, and they're always called commentators, which sounds like potatoes. I thought they were commentors. Am I right or not? No, they're, they're commentators, I'm afraid. Um, they do make comments, but uh, you get a, a, a comment... Uh, no, comments form the commentary and from that you get a commentator and that's the proper word for someone who tells you in words what's going happen what is happening in the sports pitch Okay, we'll have commentators for you at 11.30 when we've got Zane Bojack and Liesl Jones talking about Indeed. sport. They're with you between midday and two as well with uh, Saturday Grandstand. Russ, who is west of Toowoomba. Hello Russ, where are you? Uh, Brookstead, a little place called Brookstead, about 60 k's west of Toowoomba. Lovely. What's your question for Rolly? Uh, the word fortnight, uh, like we say two days or two months or two years, but when we say two weeks, we say a fortnight. What is, mm -hmm. Where does that come from? Oh, it comes from 14 nights, uh, and it's been shortened over time. Um, the interesting thing is that the Americans don't use fortnight at all. They just say two weeks. Um, just as they don't say thrice, they say three times, and twice is going in favour of two times. There was an old word called senite, S-E-N-N-I-G-H-T, which was seven nights, and was another old word for a week as well. That's completely fallen out of use now. Fortnight has persisted with us, but not with the Americans. Russ, I don't know about you, but did you just have one of those, oh, of course it does moments? <laughs> <laughs> I never knew that either, though, Russ. Thank you very much. That's a great question and uh, a revelatory answer, as usual, from you, Professor Rowley Sussex. 20 yeah. past 10. Lots of calls coming in, 1300 612. Uh, Leone on the Tablelands. Hello, Leone. Good morning, Emma. Good morning, my lord. Uh, <laughs> I, Thank you. <laughs> uh, yes, I, I have uh, some comments from my... It's not so much my occupation, but my condition, um, being blind. Um, I'm a VIP, vision-impaired person, um, in the community, that is. And I have an OT, an occupational therapist, and an O&M, O&M, that's mm -hmm. an orientation and mobility instructor. And oh. um, people refer sometimes to my other half as my carer. Well, I have referred to him as my minder because from that English TV show. Um, but <laughs> I, <laughs> I do call him um, my PA, personal assistant. Yeah. <laughs> Just a little upmarket. Uh, uh, Coming down from that into occupational jargon, mm -hmm. uh, I'm aware of the meaning, well, the meaning I've grown up with of the word dodge, uh, to get around something, you know, you yes. dodge that car that's hurtling at you or mm -hmm. um, that person's a bit dodgy. But, yes. and I'm rereading Oliver Twist and... I know about the artful dodger, and I had always thought it was because he was good at dodging around, um, picking a, a handkerchief or two. But I've also come across the fact that Fagan asked a um, another person who's come into his uh, Jonah, who'd come up from the bush, so to speak, in England, mm -hmm. yeah. um, to dodge someone. And it wasn't to get away from them, it was to spy on them. So where does ah. that come around 
with, you know, with your dodge, he was dodging on Nancy to find out where she was going and with whom she was communicating. Wow. Okay. I think this would mean overhearing something like that. Um, the it's it's very odd because it comes from an old verb dodge meaning to to haggle. Um, it's it's very strange. So I'll have to look into that one. Dodger, by the way, um, and dodging. If you're doing photography, dodging means exposing one one part of the of the picture differently from others. Uh-huh. And there is also a dodger on a boat, which is a kind of screen which keeps the spray off you. So Dodge has actually done quite a lot of work. I will check out on the one on the meaning you've got there, and we'll see if we can find out. Terrific to hear from you, Leone. Thank you so much, and uh, all the best to your minder as well. Uh, Twenty-four past ten. Rolly, can we do a language of Dickens? Yes, why not? Good idea. Session one week. I think that would be mm. terrific because the way he uses it is just so intriguing. Oh, yes. uh, now, who have we got next? Sorry, Shirley and Mackay. Hello, Shirley. Oh, hello. I have a question for Rolly. Um, it's not a jargon question, but I just want to know whether Rolly had any spare cheese for next year. Spare what? Spare cheese. Okay. What What's going um, on here, Shirley? Well, next year is 20, the year 1920. And there's two oh. T's in 20. Do you mean 2020? And I'm saying, 90, yep, 2020. <laughs> I love it, Shirley. Keep going. Everybody says, everybody says 20, 21, 22. And mm. I'm just concerned that we're going to get to 2020 and everybody's going to drop those T's. Oh, dear. Okay, Rolly, do you have any spare T's for all of us okay. who are dropping that 20 good, into good 20? Question. A little ahead of time, yeah. Um, people haven't been sure how to call the first decades of, the, of this new century. Um, the first 10 were sometimes called aughties or noughties. Um, and, of course, then you get to the teens. That's not quite so bad. And they will be 20s when we get there. By the way, this word, you know, calling a, the, a decade like this didn't come in until about 1900. It was fairly, fairly late. Now, 20, when you've got an N and a an T together, it very often happens that the T just falls out, so you get 20. And I'm afraid, uh, you know, 21, 22, this is likely to happen. It is a natural way which happens in pronunciation when you're at speed. Emma and I would probably try not to do it under any circumstance. But it is, it will be increasingly heard, and I'm afraid it's going to be almost impossible to resist. What you can do is draw a line in the sand and say, this is the way I say it, and I encourage everybody else to imitate me. Yes. Well spotted. Uh, thank you very much for that, Shirley. I must say, one that I hear and I've been guilty of is sort of pronouncing the T more like a D. So it's 20. Oh, yeah. 20, 20. Mm. Anyway, Romani at Dara has a related question. Romani? I do. Um, We have 60, 70, 80. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering why it's 20 and not 20. And also, why are all the teen numbers said round the wrong way? So we don't say 10, 4, 10, 5. Very beautifully pronounced there too, Romani, with your 20, (laughs) I must say. So, Rolly, why 20 and not 20? 
Which I rather like the sound of too. (laughs) Yes, it was originally 20 in an old English a thousand years ago. And it came from two plus ty. And so the ty is something which goes on the end uh, to mean 10 of, as opposed to twen, which means, you know, the, the 13, 14, 15 and so on. So it's got a very, very old origin. It's part of English for, for yonks. And it's, it's historical rather than anything else. Mm. Can you ever see 2T coming in? <laughs> no, I can't. No. Nope. What is interesting is that, uh, you know, 1 and 20, 2 and 20 is now dialectal and archaic and, and no one would say it normally. Uh, interestingly, that's what naturally happens in, in German. You say ein und 20, which is 1 and 20. And in Czech, uh, which had many centuries of close contact with German, you can do it either way. You can say, say 21 or 1 and 20. Very adaptable. The checks. Okay. Uh, Mary in Rockhampton, you've got some music jargon to talk to Rolly about. I have. Good morning to you both. Good good morning, Professor Rowley. I really, yes. really enjoy your program. It's, it's, I just hang around till 10 o'clock on a Saturday morning until well, I can you. tune in to you. Now, I'm a musician, and um, this is a completely different area. And isn't it strange that, um, is it Rebecca, um, you, your presenter there? No, it's Emma. Hello, Re- Emma. That's okay. Rebecca's, um, well, she was two years ago. She's lovely oh, okay. too. Yeah. Right. No, well, Emma, Emma, I just heard you mention you were talking with Rolly about the word tutti, and I thought that fits in with what I was going to say this morning. But um, I was just interested to hear Rolly um, talking about, um, you know, of course, the topic's jargon and long, elaborate explanations that are that are quite impressive, you know, that, that can sort of just simply probably make you feel a little bit sort of in awe of someone if they're in charge. So in the, in the music world, in, in the music world, um, I hear a lot of, um, I hear a lot of terms and, and things being, for example, we're in a, when we're in a group, um, you might hear a conductor of a, a vocal group or a, or an instrumental group saying, we're going to do this piece, um, in the mood of Vivace with Miko. And then when we go to the Tutti section, and you can see people with these ex- surprised expressions on their faces, what on earth is he or she talking about? And, uh, mm. yeah, it's just really a comment, I suppose, Rolly, but they're Italian terms. Um, and you'd know, you'd know all about that. Yeah, that's lovely to hear, Mary. Maybe that's another whole segment. I think we might well, because the Italians gave us all of the names for tempi, and that's, that's Italian as well. So adagio and largo and larghetto and presto and prestissimo are, are all Italian. A cappella uh, is Italian, tutti and so on. Interestingly, by the way, if you belong in an orchestra, you'll say, oh, we'll play, get some, get the core to play that. Now that's actually the core anglais. Uh, but you just say core because everybody knows what the core is. Uh, by the way, the Americans call that an English horn. Uh, so they've translated it. <laughs> yes, right. Now, it's gone half past ten. We've still got a couple more calls for you, though, Rolly, okay. if you're happy to hang about. Uh, Bev be. is in Atherton. You've got some football jargon, Bev. <laughs> well, I don't know whether you call it jargon or whatever, but I've noticed quite a bit lately when footballers are, in, uh, are being interviewed that their response always goes like this. To be honest, I don't da-da-da. And then, and I thought, well, wouldn't they be honest otherwise? <laughs> well, they do something completely different. <laughs> and then I just heard it creep in outside of footballing just the other day and somebody else was using it, so I don't know whether it's 
strictly footballers, but I've noticed it so much when footballers are being interviewed that they they respond with, to be honest. Yeah, right, Bev. What's that about, Rolly? Mm. It's probably a catchphrase, and a catchphrase is a, is a, sec- a, well, a selection of words which have got glued together and people utter them as a particular unit without really thinking what they mean. And to be honest... Uh, doesn't really mean I am now going to switch from being telling porkies to telling the truth. But it's a way of um, emphasizing that you want people to listen to the content of what they're saying. Um, Catchphrases uh, are very common in English. There's dozens of them. One of the best I ever knew was Don Chip's political um, manifesto, which was keep the bastards honest. Yeah. And surely Australia is the only country where you could have a political slogan like that. So it's a catchphrase, Bev. It's, it's a way, I think, of um, introducing something and asking people to pay particular attention to it. You may not necessarily be entirely honest when, when you say whatever follows, by the way. Strange things have happened after, to be honest. Yes, Rolly. You're so wise. Is it a bit of a verbal crutch as well, if you're... Yes, Talking yeah. to the media, nerves can get to you. I know. Oh, yes. Uh, Jeremy yes. in Ipswich has some jargon about Lego. What's going on here, Jeremy? Uh, good morning, Emma and Rolly. Um, thanks for taking my call. I'll try and be brief. Um, yeah, I'm a member of a uh, couple of Lego clubs, been collecting for uh, 30 years now, roughly. Um, there's a Brisbane Club, um, but the other one I'm a member of is QLUG, which stands for Queensland Lego Users Group. And a couple of other acronyms that we have. Um, is the um, AFOL, um, A-F-O-L, which stands for um, Adult Fan of Lego. Uh, we also have uh, LERPS and BURPS. So uh, LERPS, uh, L-U-R-P, stands for uh, Little Ugly Rock Piece, and a BURP is a Big Ugly Rock Piece. Rock Piece? Uh, yeah, it's like a yep. one, one rock piece, um, yep. And uh, one of the other ones, um, briefly, is a favourite. It's called um, Snot, S-N-O-T, which stands for Studs Not On Top. So traditionally when you're building Lego, you have um, the studs are always on top. But when you either uh, build Lego sideways to use the side of the brick as the face or you uh, tile the top of um, what you're working on to give a smooth finish, that's called, um, yeah, snot. (laughs) So a snot finish. So, um, yeah, there's um, plenty more I could go into, but they're just a couple that comes to mind. Gee, that word does a lot of hard work, doesn't it, Rolly? Snot. (laughs) It does. Look, Jeremy, thank you. I was not aware of any of these, but your example of Lego user groups is actually exactly the sort of thing where you get a a group of people focusing on a common activity, and when you start doing more advanced things, you need words for the efficient description of certain things you're doing and and snot in particular gives me pleasure partly because in victoria a a vanilla slice is called a snot block oh no <laughs> <laughs> oh, rolly jeremy oh, i i'm i'm a happy a foal as well adult fan of lego not to collect a stage though love oh, hearing from you jeremy have a great weekend uh now rolly your final caller is Catherine from mullet creek Catherine, remind us what you needed to know from last week Hi, Emma and Rolly. Um, the question was, what is the origins of like a pig with a shilling? 
Okay, that, that one is on my list. I'm sorry I haven't got to it yet because I've been trying to finish another piece of work. I do promise I'll get back to it for next week, okay? Oh, Catherine, you haven't had any luck finding things out, have you, Catherine? No, no. Okay. I have, I have looked, but I haven't been able to find oh, it. Oh, so. okay. Well, we will... Well, this the, is... I, th I think one thing which comes to mind is... Um, uh, are you? Uh, they said to the pig, you know, are you willing to tell for one sh shilling your sell for one shilling your ring? Said the piggy, I will. So they carried away to the uh, yes. on the hill. Yeah, uh, it, it's it's all Lewis Carroll. I will check that out through. Yeah, and Lewis Carroll was great for the language absurdity too. Rolly Sussex, thank you so much. Uh, enjoy your weekend in Hobart. I'm being, a, I'm being a grandpa. It's, it's a very great, great experience. Lovely. Oh, so lovely. Do you get grandpa or poppy? Um, well, I actually get Jaja because the, Jaja. there were two sets of grandparents and my wife was Polish and in Polish, babcia is grandma and Jaja is grandpa. And that was a really easy way of separating from the other two grandparents who were not Poles. Ah, so I'm Jaja. Lovely. And do you have a final word, Rolly? Of course, yes. Don't let your worries get the best of you. Remember, Moses started out as a basket case. On your radio and online. At home or on the road. This is ABC Radio.